a guy woke up right before he was supposed to get an autopsy. I'm still alive. Shut up. I got a job to do. So that's uncomfortable for everyone involved. <laughs> Jay Leno's depressed about late night TV, how it's gotten so political. Uh, a number of things we'll talk about coming up on the Armstrong and Getty show. Eh, sorry to hear about Jay's depression. I'm depressed, too, about it. It sucks. I think it freaking sucks. I think mm. the whole thing sucks. Wow. One man's opinion. Please welcome to the Armstrong and Getty show Assemblyman Jim Patterson of the 23rd Assembly District of California with, to me, a sobering warning for blue staters everywhere. Once you get a giant ill-advised infrastructure uh, project going, it's more difficult to... Uh, to kill than the hybrid offspring of a werewolf and a vampire. Jim Patterson joins us now. Jim, how are you, sir? I'm fine. Good to be with you. Thank you. Uh, It's our pleasure. So, listen, you sponsored a bill, Assembly Bill 65, that, as I understood it, would have prevented highway tax dollars to be diverted over to the Crony Express. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah, California, a couple of years back, Uh, decided that it was going to start raiding the uh, highway fund, state highway fund, to pay the principal and interest payment on the high-speed rail bond. And the legislative analyst's office predicts that the principal and interest payment on on the $9 billion will be about $650 million a year for the life of the bond, 30 years. That's almost $20 billion, and it is going to be paid for by the gas tax, by the truck weight fees, by the excise tax on fuel, by the increase in your uh, car tax. And Jerry Brown actually doubled down on this yesterday when he introduced his budget, and he basically isn't trying to hide the uh, the, the, the bait and switch anymore. Uh, out of, I think it's 4 or $5 billion worth of gas tax expenditures and uh, because of the new taxation and all of that, a huge amount is going to go into not only the high-speed rail, but also in other uh, rail projects throughout uh, the state of California. I just say this, a, a highway is not a railroad, a railroad is not a highway, and uh, we have done an unprecedented thing in the state of California, which is to take uh, tax money collected for a specific purpose and put into specific accounts. The state highway fund is where all that money goes. And then uh, deciding to uh, take it out and uh, pay for uh, the bonds on a railroad, uh, and that it will probably exist. It would probably never exist, and it's the technology of the 1850s. Right. Well, the, the high-speed rail uh, boondoggle is uh, one thing, but I think something that the general public needs to really understand and know is that what you. What you supposed Governor Brown and the Democrats were going to do with your gas tax money is precisely uh, what they're going to do with it, which is to bait and switch it, which is to shell game it. Uh, And you are going to be paying uh, substantially higher uh, gas taxes, excise taxes, sales tax on fuel, the truck weight fees that truckers pay. All of that uh, should be going to roads and highways. And guess what? They're moving much of it into uh, railroads and other expenditures that are quote-unquote transportation but have nothing to do with getting rid of gridlock, uh, really repairing and and, uh, widening uh, roads, uh, getting uh, our freeways uh, up to capacity so we we get out from underneath so so much of the gridlock. Uh, 
and and that's what's happening. And and my bill basically said you can't do that. Stop he, doing it. And it and got it, crushed it got, in committee. Well, it got killed by a by a party line vote. I, I can say I really do appreciate about a half a dozen Republican colleagues who who stood with me there. But it was obvious uh, that every single Democrat would vote it down, and that's what they did. And they have just admitted publicly uh, in a public hearing that when presented the facts of what they are doing, they simply don't care and they will do it anyway. Um, and I, I contain that this is what one-party dictatorial rule looks like. They can do anything they want to, anytime they want to. All right. Um, the only problem I have with this is this seems like the oldest thing in politics my whole life, particularly on, 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 on taxes that are supposed to fix roads. The same things happens with school and everything like that. We pass taxes that are supposed to do one thing, and the money just goes into a fund, and it just disappears, and the roads don't get fixed, or the schools don't get better, or whatever we thought was going to happen. And it's just the way it works. I mean, what what do we do? The only way you can combat this, it seems to me, as a voter, is oppose all taxes. You go back to Milton Friedman. Oppose all taxes. That's the only thing you can do. Because once they get the money, they'll spend it on whatever the hell they want to. Or repeal the current set. Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, there, there is no good reason at all to raise taxes in the state of California, period. Look at the stream of money that is coming into California presently. It's, it's billions of dollars, and it's taken primarily from the income of working people, uh, also the, the, the companies that do business here, the employers, the, those kind of things. It, it, we have, a, I think, a $7.5 billion uh, surplus. And I say, look, what, I think what we've got to do is we've got to reduce taxes. We've got to cut taxes in the state of California uh, because the people of California need, a rainy, need to rebuild their rainy day fund as well. And I, I really think that the Democrats have overreached. They have gone so far with uh, taking money uh, from, from middle class, hardworking people, uh, essentially lying to them that we care about you. After all, the Democrat Party is a party of the little guy. And everything this Democrat Party and this governor have done in the state of California has really been to crush the dreams of the middle class. It's utterly corrupt one-party government. California Assemblyman Jim Patterson is on the line. Yeah, it's just, it's it's shocking. It's disgusting. Nobody's going to ride that damn train. I like the way you put it. They're taking money directly out of the pockets of working people to build the brown doggle, as John and Ken in Los Angeles put it, the yeah. the, 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 the the Crony Express, which is not high-speed rail. It's regular speed rail for a large uh, extent of its theoretical path, which, again, will never be built. It's just it's utterly yeah. shocking. What are the chances of getting those taxes repealed? Because I know some po- folks are trying to whip that up. Uh, yeah, it, there is a gas tax repeal. Uh, you can Google it, uh, and you can, you can go online. Uh, you can get the information, you can get the actual signature pages, and you can be in your own uh, backyard, in your own neighborhood, a, a collector of signatures. Uh, look, I think there's a real possibility that is going to it, it will collect enough signatures and it will be on the ballot. I think the evidence of that was that it uh, took a very short period of time to collect the recall signatures necessary to uh, uh, to put a, a senator up uh, down in Southern California up for a recall uh, because of his uh, uh, vote on the on the taxes. And, and I think the interesting thing there is, just as you have said, part of the, the, the gripe against uh, 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 the senator down there is that he withheld his vote. He was one of the votes that got it out of the Senate. He withheld his votes until I think a half a something like a half a billion dollars went into the into his area. So in other words, he held up the entire state of California for a for 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 a tax uh, bill that basically uh, 
send an awful lot of money uh, into his district for a whole lot of different purposes. In yeah, other words, he was a shocker. Uh, California Assemblyman Jim Patterson, let's stay in touch on this, Jim. Keep fighting the good fight, huh? You got it. All right, thanks. thanks. Yep. I, you know, warning, warning, warning. And I'm telling you, you Oregonians, why do you care? Washingtonians, New Mexicanians, Nevadonians. Um, Utahans. I, Utonians. Uh, because, listen, when you get the big blue government going, they announce these utopian transportation schemes. That's a big one. That's a big one. Transportation is great because everybody needs to be transported. And, and what the purpose of it is mutates where the money goes mutates they say well uh, yeah we told called it the highway bill but uh, uh, the choo-choo train that's transportation as well and and the metropolitan transportation uh, association uh, we're subsidizing for 15 million dollars happens to be run by our union cronies uh, they're getting consulting money and that's that's god it's such a scam uh yeah. Why won't the rich who've uh, disproportionately extracted from the uh, public uh, wealth uh, pay their fair share, says the criminal. God, wake up, people. One of the worst things about aging is you, you watch a new group of people fall for the old, well, we need taxes to fix the schools or the roads or whatever. I'm in favor of roads and schools. I realize, you, Jimmy, you're not old enough to right. remember that uh, me and my dad also... Had a bunch of voted for a bunch of these, and it didn't fix the roads or the schools. Right, so it's kind of a dodge, but yeah, yeah. You'll yeah. vote for it too because what? You don't care about education or roads? Then the money will be spent on something else, and the roads are still stuck, and the schools are still suck. Wake up, suckers! That's just how it works. Um, here's a problem: a lot of your military people come from the south. Uh, south very um, patriotic and uh, willing to join the military. Uh, they're too fat. Too fat. Fat, fat Southerners. Well, we're fat all across America, but especially fat in the South. So put down the donut, Clem. Stay tuned. They're having trouble finding Army recruits because everybody's too fat. Among other things we got to talk about. That ain't good. Seven Nation Army. Seven Donut Army, huh? Am I wrong, Albert? I'm not. Fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life. Amen. (laughs) One of the great lines from one of the great movies of all time, Animal House. A classic if you haven't seen it. Your name is Flounder. (laughs) Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The voice of the West. The Armstrong and Getty Show. God, I got so I got something so good. The question is, am I smart enough to explain it? Oh and boy, I I, re, I hear you answering. No, I'm not. But. Well, I don't know what it is. It's Wick. Uh, the pervasiveness of Wick on uh, specifically co- college campuses, but all across America. That's whiteness informed civility, ah. which is uh, catching on as a thing. I don't Boy. know if I'm smart enough to explain it. but That uh, pussy hat story I have, we got to get more into that later, because it is so astonishingly, unintentionally hilarious. So, so much of this stuff is like, you know, through the looking glass to where I just, it's difficult to wrap your head around. I'll start with one that's simple. This is uh, somebody wrote an op-ed in the New York Times. She's a professor on how this semester she's going to finally start asking for their names, hometowns, and personal pronouns that you'd like to be called by. She realized that it's time for her to get on board 
and ask them whether they want to be called he, she, they, z, here, h-i-r, or xem, x-e-m, which there are apparently are a whole bunch others. Or as some college students have insisted hilariously, your royal highness. (laughs) Um, And, uh, you know, how you, you if you're not on board, you're just... You're just a bad person. So getting back to Wick, and again, am I smart enough to explain this? It's difficult to follow um, and understand. Well, you have to have had the 100 and 200 level uh, gender and uh, racial awareness classes. It's an article from the Howard Journal of Communications, Howard University, that has made the rounds in college campuses and is catching on specifically in the world of debate which I'll get into in just a second. Civility and white institutional presence and exploration of white students. Whiteness-informed civility. Their contention is twofold. One, that civility itself, as currently practiced in America, is a white construct. Civility itself is a white construct. And two, that in a campus setting, the woke white students endeavor to avoid microaggressions against black peers is itself a microaggression. A form of noblesse oblige whereby white students are, in fact, patronizing students of color. By not offending them. By not offending yes. other people. Makes perfect sense to me. It's offensive. Right? How dare they? By treating other students with common courtesy and expecting the same in return, white students are ignoring grievances that various groups might have, particularly white males, bypassing the race talk or the gender talk that is supposed to occur in all conversations. Well, I'm checking with uh, medical professionals. I'm texting right now. Yes, the social justice warrior movement has now fully inserted its head into its own rectum. <laughs> in an amazing act of flexibility. So as a white male, if you walk into a room and there's a woman of color there, if you if you do g- not offend her. If you go out of your way to not offend her based on being uh uh, black, a woman, or maybe she's transgender or whatever, that maybe is offensive. Maybe she's a lesbian, Jack. That is offensive because you're avoiding the conversation about those things. Right. Which is a difficult one. Ooh, <laughs> it's a tough one. Boy, that threading that needle is going to take some while. It'll take a while. The I forget the author of this article in the Wall Street Journal writes, uh, something similar is happening in collegiate debate where historically high standards of decorum are under siege as manifestations of patriarchal thinking. So are the factual and logical proofs that debaters are normally expected to offer in arguing their case. Some participants are challenging the format, goals, and ground rules of debate itself, in some cases refusing to stick to the topic at hand. I have heard academics maintain that the very idea of logic, evidence, etc., is a white construct. Absolutely, that's what's going on here. Right. Increasingly, at major competitions, there must be a pre-debate debate on the terms of engagement. Whether students are required to cite proof or are free to argue wholly from their feelings and so-called lived experience. Well, we're doomed. Lived experience, for many people, they say trumps any uh, facts or you know stats or charts or anything you, you might have. Yeah. You know, you see this in various groups of people of various races where the person who wins the argument is the person who most successfully whips up the crowd. One might argue one of those people is the current president of the United States. It has nothing to do with logic and proof, etc. It's who whips up the crowd best. And I totally get why that sort of politics is really popular on the left, uh, because often their appeals are emotional for what policies should happen. And so the idea of, like, for instance... The light rail thing I was just railing about. If you do the math, there's just no defending it whatsoever. But if you say, 
We want to get people out of their cars and helping the environment on this beautiful light rail system. It's very emotionally appealing. So I, I get why they would want more of that. Far from being banned or even maligned by debate judges, such antics increasingly are winning converts and not coincidentally matches in college debates around the country, such as the case is the aforementioned the, uh, pair he starts the article talking about who won a debate without facts, just using personal experience. Finally, there's a recognition in the academic space that the way argument has taken place in the past privileges certain types of people over others. Arguments don't necessarily have to be backed up by professors or written papers. They can come from life experience. So you can have a chart saying, you know, uh, I don't know, 75% of women blank. Mm -hmm. I can, as a woman, say, I'm a woman and this is what happened to me. You know, even though that might, you might be it's anecdotal, yeah, you might be one of a million people that happened to right. You, I can refute your seventy-five percent of women have the opposite of experience, just right. because my experience was different, right? Which is really interesting that that's catching on. Well, it's terrifying, and again, lays the groundwork for political correctness of the original sort, like you know, in a Soviet system or something like that. What the party line is is the truth. Even if it doesn't stand up to any scrutiny whatsoever, you, you, okay, you and your scrutiny and your logic are now in a gulag. I told you what the party line is, and you blew it. Yeah, it's uh, it seems like a where it's gone is a logical extension of um, uh, the the personal becoming the political, the identity identity politics right. of the. Um, um, I can claim as a, I don't know, I'm a Hispanic transgender. Because I'm Hispanic transgender, I have a view of this you can't understand. So no facts are involved here. Mm-hmm. Just my opinion is <laughs> is better than yours because you can't possibly understand it. You're not a Hispanic transgender. Right. Um, that seems like an extension. And that's been politics now for, for quite a while. Um, uh, seems like a logical extension to the debate room, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how you debate against that. You know, just a quick aside as a student of history, the uh, humankind is, has tried an experiment where, like, the whipped-up howling mob gets to make up all the rules. We've tried it over and over again. It turns out really ugly. Really ugly. For one group, then the other, then the other, then the other. Read about Rwanda if you want. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting. I remember in Christopher Hitchens' book where he wrote about where he had to abandon the new left and realized he was just a man of the old left is when the personal became political. And he said arguments no longer mattered. And it was just who you are is the argument. Mm -hmm. And there's no discussion. There's no facts. There's no anything. Right. And because uh, where do you go from that that point? But that's interesting. It's caught on in debating across the country. God help us. Yeah, it's real. I'd like to watch one of those debates. Western what's, civilization is crumbling. It's kind of interesting to watch if you can get past the horror. Well, what's coming up in your news, Marshall? Well, big break for WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange. Hold up in a foreign embassy for the last five years. What your city's willing to give up to get Amazon's second headquarters, and now we are dealing with a rapidly spreading round of dog flu. Stories coming up minutes from now, Armstrong and Getty. If your city wouldn't give up anything to have Amazon make their headquarters there, you're crazy. It's coming up on the Armstrong and Getty Show. So looking over 
over the text line, at, at least some of you understood what I was saying. And I'm, I'm putting that on me. I wasn't sure I could explain properly what exactly was going on with that. The change in the way they do college debates and stuff. It's just, it's, it's a, what? Wild. Oh, it's incredible. It's, it's terrifying. It's mind-blowing. Were you going to read some of that? or? Oh, uh, no. Because no. Just a quick follow-up. I happen to be looking at a video of a, a police shooting in North Little Rock, Arkansas. The, the, the word got out. The guy wasn't armed. Turns out he was armed. It's all on video and blah, blah, blah. But, uh, you know, it, it, it crystallized it uh, for me in my head, what we were talking about. You people who are advocating, you know, personal experience trumping facts and logic, which are white constructs and... And life experience and feelings being more important. For a hell of a long time, white juries sat in that jury box and said, you know, the evidence is thin and the witnesses are probably liars, but in my experience, young black men are murderers. So I'm going to put them in jail. You don't want personal experience and feelings to trump logic, rules of evidence, etc., etc. The crap was bad enough with those rules in place, and we've spent a long damn time, several centuries, trying like crazy to remove prejudice and feelings and that sort of thing from the way people are treated, and instead substitute a standardized set of rules based on logic that everybody gets their rights, and I don't give a damn how you feel, they get their rights. And I'm telling you, the idea that we get to substitute somebody else's, uh, you know, batch of prejudices, hatreds, resentments, etc., in place of Group A's prejudices. settling, which happens right. a lot. Oh, my God. That's better? Are you kidding? Yeah, that's that wild, wild, so wild. Let's get the news now with Marshall Phillips. Well, it turns out Ecuador has just granted citizenship to WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange. Who has? Ecuador, Ecuador, beautiful Ecuador. So he's a citizen now, and does that help him not get sent to the United States to be put in prison? Well, he's been living in asylum at Ecuador's embassy in London for more than five years. The nation's foreign minister announcing the decision, saying that they've decided to let him go ahead and become a naturalized citizen while they look for other ways to resolve his situation. I don't think Ecuador has an extradition treaty with the U.S. I've looked into this. Yeah. I've contemplated disappearing for years. Ecuador at the top of my list. Ecuador giving Assange political asylum after he sought refuge in the embassy back in 2012 to avoid extradition to Sweden for investigation of sex-related claims. Sweden has dropped those claims. Okay, so now it's just about coming to America to stand trial for the WikiLeaks stuff. Yes. Okay. He has remained in the embassy because he, again, is worried about being deported to the U.S. for publishing secret information, news leaks, and classified media. So one of the uh, one of the moves is Ecuador is trying to figure out a way to get Britain just to deport him to Ecuador and totally avoid the U.S. involvement. Ecuador's highest mountain is the point on Earth that is closest to the sun, but I'm sure you guys already knew that. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> so if you are going to disappear to yes. Ecuador, you might be concerned that it's very hot and steaming as it is on the equator. Uh, however, the key, Marshall, is yes. to seek the higher elevations. Yes. There are a number of higher elevation regions in Ecuador that are quite uh, accommodating, climate-wise. As Sean just mentioned. You have researched this rather thoroughly, Mr. He, no, wrong. He mentioned it's closest yes. to the sun, yes. which might imply you'd burn up in an instant. <laughs> but it's not true. We're getting way more into the weeds on evolution, ev- <laughs> how high you are up in Ecuador than I thought we would today. Many state and local governments competing for Amazon's second headquarters are apparently refusing to disclose the tax breaks or other financial incentives they're offering the online giant. 
More than 15 states and cities, including Chicago, Cleveland, Las Vegas, and others, have turned down requests from the Associated Press to detail the promises they've been making. Well, sure, it's it's easy to understand. Yes, I'm willing to whore myself. No, I'd prefer not to do it in public. <laughs> Many of them are saying they don't want to give their competition uh, the information because then they would know what they're offering yeah, and everybody will start upping the uh, ante and trying to outplay the other. Is oh. there anything keeping uh, Amazon's other headquarters from being just across the border in Mexico or Canada? Would there be an advantage to them for that? Mm. I think coming, like, probably like, not. Like happens with a lot of other companies. Yeah, I think one or two Canadian cities have actually made their mm. bid to try and get lure them up north. Settle down up there, Jacques, huh? There's always talk of flu shots for humans this time of year, but you shouldn't forget about your dog. Veterinarians and pet owners across the U.S. I can't forget about my dog because I didn't take him for a walk yesterday, and oh. now he's acting all butthurt. <laughs> I swear to God. I swear to God. I thought we had a thing. Right. Hey, no, no. I saw you're busy. It's cool. Don't worry, dude. No, it's all right. Veterinarians and pet owners across the U.S. warning dog lovers to get their animal vaccinated with a newly released drug after an outbreak of dog flu that is spreading rapidly. The dog flu, highly contagious. It's in at least 46 states. While the virus strain is not usually fatal and is not known to be transferable to humans, it can spread again rapidly and it can cause debilitating pneumonia. Oy. So if you suspect your pooch has the disease, your vet can run a blood test to detect the virus, and uh, you may want to go and get your dog vaccinated. Just I didn't to avoid even know doggos could get the flu, and yep. I only said that so I could use the term doggos, which is the new dog term for some reason. Very popular among, uh, around my house. Puppos, doggos, bluppo puppos, woofers. <laughs> oh, uh, Leah, linguists actually believe the term dog has become doggos. The word has changed. Doggos? Really? Yeah. Really? Hmm. Yeah. Bill Cosby referenced the hashtag MeToo movement after a dinner at an Italian restaurant in Philadelphia. Philadelphia Inquirer reporting the 80-year-old comedian was uh, dining with his publicist and some members <laughs> his of... publicist? That's got to be rewarding work right now. <laughs> Still nothing. <laughs> anyway, they invited some members of the media to document the event, the dinner. The uh, news site for the Inquirer says he shook a reporter's hand and said, please don't put me on the hashtag MeToo list. The social media movement denouncing sexual assault. He's uh, been asked about his April retrial on charges he drugged and molested a woman in 2004, and he replied confidently, we are ready. Mm. That's the word from Bill Cosby. And that's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips, the Armstrong and Getty Show, the voice of the West. Go away, you old perv. Ecuador is the world's largest exporter of bananas, accounting for up to 30% of all bananas exported. Wow! But I'm sure you guys already knew that. Tip of the sombrero, Ecuador. Well done. Speaking of old pervs, I see that Today Show's taking a look at uh, Letterman's past, since he's got his TV show coming back in the midst of the hashtag MeToo movement, because he was uh, sexing up his interns, right? Oh, and I just heard one of the great reporters in Washington, D.C., James Rosen, is out at Fox. Yeah, because of now that offering women more airtime and career advancement for getting with him, allegedly. Yeah, and he's a great journalist. Yeah, I was just just thinking this morning how I missed the Charlie Rose show. So many great long form conversations about the big topics of the day that that I'm not getting anywhere else that happened on Charlie Rose because he, uh, you know, are we better off as a society? Isn't there some way to punish these people and they keep to get, keep to get 
can keep doing their job? Mm, I don't know. Maybe you got to go through the uh, the down period. Sort out the pervs. Get in some non-pervs who are good at it. There's yeah. got to be some. Yeah, you would think. Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The voice of the West. The Armstrong and Getty Show. And how can I trust some of these quotes when, again, Tony Blair, Tom Barak, Kate Walsh, Anna Wintour, all these people who are denying these quotes and stories attributed to You know, to I, th- I think you have to look at the, uh, the, also the other people who are not denying and actually the, the great number of, of people. That's Wolf. Arr! Who wrote the book Fire and Fury? His last name is Wolf. Uh, Being grilled by Meghan McCain? Yeah, on the uh, on the view, and this is uh, this was I thought the best kind of pushback against his book that I've seen anybody do, and it pains me to say that it happened on the view. <laughs> yeah, it, it would pain it pains me that you said that. Pain me to watch it. <laughs> Let's hear another clip. I'm just confused. Were you friends with Steve Bannon and Roger Ailes beforehand, and you were like, "Come to my house for an off the record dinner," and then you reported on it, or was uh, it on I, the record? Yes, no, fair fair question, and I'll tell you what happened. This was actually an off the record dinner. But two things happen. That's why people hate journalists, by the way. It's why I don't believe in the concept of off the record, this right here. Mm. It goes on for about five, seven minutes. Those are just kind of two of the highlights. What was your takeaway? I I was left with the same impression that I had before, that this isn't a a comprehensive look at this. This is just what people are telling me, not really verified, somewhat too gossipy for my my personal taste. I called it a 300-page version of page six in the New York Post. It's a gossip piece. Which is more or less what the reviewer for the New York Times said, which, you know, carries a lot of weight because they're out to hate Trump. Mm -hmm. But they said, yeah, you know, this is all could be, but who knows. That's a fun read. However, the Bannon stuff, and he's not denying he said this, Bannon said, let's just read the whole quote just for fun. The three senior guys in the campaign thought it was a good idea to meet with a foreign government inside Trump Tower in the conference room on the 25th floor with no lawyers. They had no lawyers. Even if you thought this was not treasonous or unpatriotic or bad ass, and I happen to think it's all of that, you should have called the FBI immediately, and they didn't. It's pretty strong criticism. Yes. Yeah, I would agree. It was incredibly dumb. I've always thought it was just naive and, you know, oh, wait a minute, these people have dirt on Hillary, and nobody knew to knew enough about what they were doing to understand what they were doing. You can't do that, Don Jr. I wouldn't. Why have, not? I wouldn't because she's a Russian agent. Oh, I wouldn't have immediately known you couldn't do that. Right? Maybe that makes me stupid, but. Hey, there's a Russian gal who's got this incredible dirt on Hillary. Yeah, your initial reaction would be, oh, my God, let's get together. Although Bannon's I just point is naivete and inexperience and dumbness. Bannon's but. point is Manafort knows what you can and can't do. Oh, right, 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 right. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, hell, that's his business. Yeah. And so, he, yeah. And he was in the meeting. You yeah. mean the Don Jr.? No, he has no idea. Just like I wouldn't know. But Manafort should have known. Right. Well, and that's what he said in his follow up comments. That's who he was talking about. Manafort. Uh, why self-compassion beats self-confidence? You heard this? Have you seen this? Does uh, self-compassion beat self-abuse? Um, you know, it seems to have limited benefits. Self-abuse. Temporary. Yeah. 
I don't yeah. see it like as a strategy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't see it like benefiting me, for instance, in the workplace. Right. Well, no, especially in the current era, or, in, or in negotiations. I don't or believe anything that like was that. your point. Uh, no. Uh, so there's growing evidence, according to whoever wrote this article, that uh, self-compassion is better than self-confidence for a number of different reasons. Are you familiar with the uh, the Dunning Kruger effect? It's a cognitive bias in which you overestimate your ability in things. Smart which, people know they're they're dumb. Dumb people assume they're smart. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it, yeah. there's a, there's a lot of that. It also factors into, and I, I I noticed this when I was younger, and so I try to watch out for it as a uh, as an older person. And that because uh, I knew a lot of people like this, and it's, it seemed pretty transparent to me. You have success in one area of life, and you assume you're good at everything else too. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> Yeah. And there's no reason to think that. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. You could be the greatest heart surgeon there is. You could also be an, a, a horrible parent or a terrible investor mm-hmm. or, or all kinds of things. Right. But but there is just there's just an assumption. It's just a natural thing. I think we all do that. If you if you're if you're pretty good or have some success in one area, you think you're you have that in everything in every other area. And uh, there, there's no evidence to back that up, by the way. That, that, that those go together. No. Um, I just thank God I've never witnessed that in the radio industry. Where, for instance, somebody who's a really good salesperson would suddenly assume they know how to design a radio show. Hey, now! What are you trying to do? Let's <laughs> point there. Um, we all like confidence because it feels good and it looks good, and we tend to promote people and hire people who exude self-confidence. Sure. That fits into that, that so that then that has an effect on the other person. So you're 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 advancing, you're getting good intention because of your self-confidence. We all like self-confidence. We're advancing them and giving them lots of attention. So you start to think you actually are what you're pretending to be. Mm. You're just walking around feeling self-confident with nothing to back that up. But you are getting attention and rising up through the ranks with that self-confidence. So you start to believe that you actually have these abilities. This is hitting a little close to home. (laughs) (laughs) That's the Dunning-Kruger effect. And so this person who wrote this book, uh, Barking Up the Wrong Tree, said that self-compassion is much better. And it's the best way to look at it is the way you treat others. I think about like the way I look at my kids. I look at their, I, I fully understand, I think, their strengths and their flaws. And accept them both as being there. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, that's the package and that's what we're dealing with. For some reason, we don't do that with ourselves, but that'd be the best way to approach ourselves. Look at our strengths and our flaws, whereas uh, self-confidence tends to be exaggerating our strengths and ignoring our flaws. I see. Yeah. Yeah. So so treat yourself the same way you'd treat others. Here's what I'm good at, legitimately, not exaggerating it. Here's what I'm bad at. Ex- legitimately and not exaggerating that, mm-hmm. and then, you know, just go forward from there. And yeah. that those people tend to do better in life. Yeah, I've read a couple of things to that effect lately, and it's undeniable. Absolutely undeniable. The whole, you know, it's funny, I, I played a little golf the other day, and, God, I'm so terrible with the, uh, you know, I'll hit a bad shot or whatever and just be, you suck. Oh, God, I that, suck. That was my biggest flaw and, in golf. And it's a partner game. I would never say that to a partner. Oh, God, Number no. one. Who'd want to play with you? Well, number one. Yeah, nobody would want to play with you. Uh, number one, he's a nice fella. Number two, he's trying hard. Number three, he hits some good shots. He hits some bad shots. It's fine. How about it's We're just enjoying for, ourselves And it's just here. for fun. Right. Well, that's <laughs> nah, for money. But um, it, it, but it's mostly for fun because it all comes out in the wash. It all ends up even at the yeah. end anyway. Um, So, yeah. Yeah, I'm working on that. Working on that. But I suck at working on that. I'm the worst piece of crap when it comes to... You're doing it again. Oh, no. Oh, God, no. Yeah. 
That's fun. That's self-compassion. But I liked this because I'd never thought of it this way. Try to approach my own flaws this, the way I approach my my wife. My wife, my wife has no flaws. Mm. Uh, my children's flaws. Or well anybody, played. Anybody else. I just accept, okay, that's that's the way they are. Um, you know, that's the way they're built. But I don't do that with myself. You freaking moron! You're just never going to get any better at this, are you, you dumbass? Which is the sort of thing I've said to myself at various times in my life. You say that to somebody else, you're a monster. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're right. you're about as awful a human being as you could be. Right. If they were to respond with a ball bat to your groin, yeah, you could be excused. So I should hit myself in the groin with a bat? See how it feels. Mm. And the next time you're tempted to do that, you'll remember your swollen genitalia. <laughs> That is, and you'll refrain. That is really interesting, though, that we tend to promote and gravitate toward people who exude self-confidence. They're faking it, but getting good results from faking it, right. so they start to believe their own ass. Right. Because they're getting results. Right. That's that's a hard one to combat. Wow. I'll be right back. I'm going to go look in the mirror. <laughs> a feedback circuit of crazy. Yeah. What are you going to do? Hmm. Well, so uh, many folks enjoy three fine hours of the Armstrong and Getty show. Some... They say that's enough. Here, That's all uh, I need. Some enjoy the fabulous award-winning fourth hour, which will feature the controversial, the fascinating Dr. Sebastian Gorka. Greetings. Greetings. So for those of you who believe that was plenty of that, and I don't blame you. Right. We'll see you tomorrow. Or dig it on the podcast. <laughs> sure. You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty show.